Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom, and Chag Purim Sameach. And uh, it is really a blessing and an honor to be here and to share the Word of God. Um, just want to quickly, before I begin... I don't have time to go through all of my books because I really want to focus on bringing the message, but uh, these books have a very important message. Um, they just for a donation to our ministry. I know it's the Shabbat, but uh, just for a donation, uh, they're available at the back. I really believe that uh, it's very significant that this is actually releasing today. It'll be on Amazon very soon. It's called The Besora Through Jewish Eyes. And uh, why, why this is significant, I believe... The Lord put this on my heart. When we were in Italy, before we went to the Ukraine last year, I was asked to do a teaching at a two-hour seminar on apologetics for the region that we were in. And then we heard that two friends of ours who were Holocaust survivors, one of them 99 years old. So when I first shared with him, he was a youngster. He was only 97. Um, I mean, as sharp as a tack. I mean, the guy has a mind like you would not believe. And uh, we, were, we were at a Shabbat at someone's home who was hosting him and, and another uh, lady who was with him, uh, also a Holocaust survivor. And when they heard that we were coming to do this teaching, you know, just that we were there because they trust us. Why do they trust us? Because we don't play games. We tell them we are... We are, of course, they know I'm Jewish. My name's Cohen, and I spoke to him in Hebrew. I'm not fluent in Hebrew, but I, I speak enough to make conversation. And, um, but right up front, I told them, and we told them, we believe that Yeshua is the promised Messiah of our people. And uh, he argued with me because, you know, he feels he doesn't argue. He's not fulfilling his duty. Um, and, uh, but we, we, we just had the most amazing few hours together. And then uh, when they heard that we were coming, they said, oh, we want to just come because we just, we love them. We want to be there. And, you know, they feel at home, you know, with Jewish brethren who they can relate to. And, uh, and I thought, well, how can I do like Christian apologetics? And we've got two Holocaust survivors. It's about how to defend your faith. But if you don't have the right faith, there's nothing to defend. You don't know what to defend. You understand what I'm saying? So for two hours, I just shared the gospel from a from a Jewish perspective, which for me is easy because I was raised Orthodox Jewish. And they, they literally sat on the edge of their seats, concentrating completely. I mean, that's more than most Christians can do, <laughs> to concentrate for two hours just on the Word of God. And, uh, and then we, you know, we just had a really good time with them. And, um, and then my wife said to me as we were driving uh, after the service, she said, that's going to be your next book. I said, what's going to be my next book? What are you talking about? And uh, how many know your wife or your husband writes, the Holy Spirit will speak through them, right? And uh, I said, what's going to be my next book? She said, exactly what you shared with them. Because I shared the gospel systematically from a Jewish mindset. And they couldn't argue. I mean, he still tried. It's just he enjoys arguing, you know. <laughs> but actually, I would have felt bad if he didn't argue. The fact that he argues means that he's really... You know what I mean? He's, he's kind of shaken up and in a good way. And so that's basically what I did. And so, of course, with, as with every book I dedicated first to God, you know, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, 
But then I dedicated it to my wife because I wouldn't have written this without her. So um, already the first two people to get the book, we, we mailed them. One was just a, a review copy, but I ended up mailing it to him. It was an Orthodox Jew in a very, very ultra-Orthodox neighborhood. And when he received it, a friend of mine took it to him, a Messianic believer. And he said, Moshiach is coming, Moshiach is coming. And he was waving this book, can you imagine? And so I know his theology needs to be correct a little bit because Moshiach has come and he's coming again. But at least it's a starting point, right? At least he's more excited about Moshiach than, than many of us are sometimes, right? And so that's what God is doing right now amongst the Orthodox. And uh, while, while we were there, um, this is only about four, three weeks ago approximately, we were in a particular store um, where this, this is the guy, the, the Orthodox Jew who, who owns the Shwarma shop in that area, serving the ultra-Orthodox. And, um, and I got to, I always share with him, and he kind of argues or, or mocks a little bit, but not in, a, not in a bad way, not with a bad spirit. I don't know if you know what I'm saying. Um, again, there's some who just know it's their duty to argue, because otherwise they're agreeing with you, right? <laughs> and so he'd always argue with me, or he'd sing this song. Every time I'd come into the Shrama store, he'd say, Moshiach, 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 la, 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 la. <laughs> it's like he would just get so nervous, he would start singing Moshiach songs. It was the strangest thing, uh, but a good thing. Anyway, he was so honored when I said, you're going to get the first copy. So we actually mailed it to him, and he got the first copy. And uh, so here, here's what's so amazing that, um, personally, I haven't experienced this before. So we've been going there for a few years, and we led some outreach teams there. Um, but this time, he came and sat with us, and we sp- spoke only about Moshiach and the Scriptures for about an hour. But here's the thing, that the, the store isn't very big. I mean, it's just a medium-sized restaurant. And 99% of the customers are ultra-Orthodox because it's a kosher store. And uh, so they keep on coming in, and I keep on sharing. <laughs> and, you know, as it is, I, I don't have a very soft voice, but I can even make it louder. And plus, the, the acoustics unintentionally are pretty good in that store. <laughs> and basically, there was just two themes that I just stuck with the whole time. That without a blood sacrifice, there is no forgiveness of sin. That was the one point from Leviticus 17 verse 11. The other point was, and you know, because I was raised Orthodox, I wasn't a very good Orthodox Jew, but I was still raised Orthodox, member of the Orthodox synagogue, had my bar mitzvah at 13, went to Orthodox Jewish school, would later fill in every morning at school. Um, but, But I know, because this is what I thought, that the Jewish people, I thought that we go directly to God that we don't need a mediator. And I always believe this. By the way, anyone who's raised, I mean, really raised in the Jewish faith, that's what they think. And um, so um, I remember many, many years ago when I was in South Africa, there was this really fiery street preacher, and he was preaching with such zeal and authority, and he was an ex-felon, uh, etc. And he preached the whole gospel about Jesus dying on the cross and all this. And I thought, that's great. Now the Gentiles have a way to get to God. And I was so happy for all the Gentiles listening. And I mean, God is my witness. Not for one moment, not for one moment, did I believe that it applied to me as a Jew. I thought, that's great. You know, Gentiles, they need a man that they can relate to because it's hard for them to relate to God. I know it's very arrogant, but I was very arrogant. I'm just being honest with you. And, you know, they need a man to go between. Good for them, you know. So they've got their Jesus. But I go directly to God. 
And that's what I really believed. And many, 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 especially observant Orthodox Jews, believe this. And so that was their second argument. Oh, we just go directly to God. We don't need a mediator. And now, thank God, I was able to say, but you're not reading your Torah if you believe that. You're not reading your Torah correctly. I said, you show me a time in the Torah when we have not gone to God through mediator. Now, I'm a Kohen, so I'm from the tribe of Levi. And so apart from, the, <laughs> apart from Levi and Aaron, if God had had his way, if, Moses did, if, Moshe, I said that if, if Moshe did not mediate, you wouldn't be here today. Now, the one ultra-Orthodox guy who is listening, he, he said, well, he's a levy. So I said, okay, maybe you'd be here. But all the rest of the tribes, the other 11 tribes of Israel would have been destroyed if not for a mediator named Moshe. Why? Why is that? Because God says, that's it. I'm going to destroy this whole nation because they're such grumblers and complainers and start a new nation just through Moshe. So it would have been only, only Levites, only. You understand what I'm saying? And what did Moshe do? He said, no, don't do it. Because what are people going to say? That you, you saved your people to destroy them in the wilderness because you weren't able to bring them into the promised land. So, so can you imagine because Moshe stood in the gap, God did not destroy all of Israel. And thank God we still have 12 tribes. You understand what I'm saying? So, so whether it's Moshe, whether it's uh, whether it was the judges who are mediating, obviously the Levitical priest administering the sacrifice on behalf of the people and the atonement, uh, even if we go back even to to Abraham standing and and mediating, in this case it wasn't successful for Saddam and workers. There was no one righteous there, um, but but there's always been a mediator. And so I'm sharing this, and you can imagine, we're sitting there for about an hour, and I'm used to, you know, either being asked to leave or, you know, not such nice words spoken to me, etc. Um, and for the first time ever, they all listened, all of them, for about an hour. And so, and then I thought, but why should we be surprised if we've been praying so long that God would pour out a spirit of grace and supplication on our people? And now it's beginning to happen. It's just the beginning. It's just like a foretaste. You understand what I'm saying? Because as I was sharing the truth, they, they didn't have, it's good, they didn't have the courage to argue with it in this case. And I've, we, we've shared a lot in these areas and had some incredible conversations. But they, they listened. Then there's another thing, and it's important for you to know this, for those of you who don't know, but it was approximately two years ago, I believe it was the Chabad, but they sent out a prayer. It was during the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, phase. A prayer for Moshiach to come and that the Moshiach will come and rebuild the temple, the Beit HaMikdash. It's, a big, it's an official prayer now. They're praying this. And they believe that whoever builds the Beit HaMikdash will be Moshiach. And so it's so real. We are so close to the time that whenever we share, we include a warning that that person who builds the Beit HaMikdash, if it's anybody, if it's not Yeshua, if it's not Jesus, the promised Messiah, if it's not him, he's a false Messiah. So be very, very careful. That's how close we are to the end, that the, that the Ruach is putting it in, in, in our hearts, me and my wife, to warn them, do not, do not follow another Moshiach if it's not the Moshiach of Psalm 22 from the Old Testament. And so this, this one guy, you know, who's, who got a copy of the Besorah, he said, because he was trying to argue with me, and 
you know, God's just destroying his arguments one at a time, but it's good to spend time, you know, thank God they, they're listening and they're arguing. Um, but like good arguments, like intelligent arguments, like can bring intelligent answers from the, from the scriptures, right? Mostly from the Torah. And so I said, but where's your sacrifice? Where is your atonement? Because without the blood of Messiah, you don't, without the blood sacrifice, you don't have it. And then he said, well, because the temple was destroyed, because the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, we don't, we cannot do sacrifices. Therefore, you don't need blood atonement. You don't need a sacrifice. Because you have to have the temple. So I said, but where's that in the Torah? I said, before there was ever a temple built, they were already administering sacrifices, even in the wilderness, even, even in, the, in the days of the tabernacle. And there was no temple. It was before the days of the Beit HaMikdash. And then he's like, <laughs> so every, every objection, <laughs> the Lord gave me the answer. You understand? And they couldn't answer any objection. And so, I mean, they, they could have, as they have done it in, on some occasions, to start threatening me or get angry or get ugly or whatever. But they listened for one hour. And they kept on coming into the store and they're just listening, just sitting like this, looking at me. And I just thought, okay, just carry on, just carry on, just carry on. And then at the very end, you know, of the approximately one hour period, one of the, um, I don't know if you'd call him a chef or whatever, but he's, he's the guy who makes sure that it's, because it's very, very strict kosher, like ultra-Orthodox kosher. And so he's there and he's, you know, he's fully, you know, in the, wearing the, his tzitzit and everything and his hat and his payers and everything. And, uh, and then he, he heard, because this guy who owns the store, he says, he's a Cohen, speaking of me. And then my wife said to me, you know, I keep on talking about my wife, because how the Lord uses our spouse, right? When you nothing like having a godly spouse, right? And she said, why don't you do the ironic blessing, the ironic benediction, because you're a Cohen. I thought, no, but Christians like that in a church. I'm not going to do that here. Or, you know, it just was my thought, because... Some people just like it. I'm not saying they see it as a, as a gimmick, but they just enjoy it. And so I think that's great, but this is not a, that sort of situation. I, I don't want to in any way cheapen it, you know. And she said, no, no. They, so I said, do you want me to do it? And he said, please, please. When they heard I was a Cohen, they were so excited. But I, I wasn't wearing a kippah there, but I had a hoodie, but with a hoodie off. And uh, so anyway, um, so the one guy who's, who takes care of the kashrut, who's ultra-Orthodox, and I thought he'd be the most angry, and he is going to kick me out. And so they said, no, please, please do the ironic benediction, because a kohen to do the ironic benediction, like for them, that's a treat. And they know that I believe in Yeshua, like 100%. I mean, I've been preaching there for, we've been preaching there for over three years, and they wanted me to do the ironic benediction as a kohen in this store with all these ultra-Orthodox Jews. And it's not like I'm hiding my faith under a bushel. I mean, I'm the most outspoken guy they've met. In fact, the one guy, I, you know, I'm an author and a Bible teacher. And that's what I, people say, who are you? I'm an author and Bible teacher. And this guy looks at me, that was the last time, and he says, two times ago, he says, he says this, he's speaking to his friends, he says, this guy's a Moshiach rabbi. No, he really is. He's a Moshiach rabbi. <laughs> I didn't even, think, I don't think he even knows what such a thing is. You know why? Because I was speaking to him about the Moshiach. So as I began to sing the ironic benediction, and my wife put my hoodie over my head because I didn't have a yarmulke, so it served as a yarmulke. And I can honestly say the Ruach HaKodesh fell in that, in that shawarma shop as I was giving the ironic benediction. And I, I wish you were there to see it, but you could literally see the glory of God coming onto their faces. 
You could literally see it. And this is, this is like the Mayesh room. I won't name the, the, the area because it's, you know, sensitive. But this is no, no less orthodox than the Mayesh room in Jerusalem. For those of you who don't know, that's the ultra, ultra orthodox part of Jerusalem. And, um, and I mean, I, I was just, and then again, you know, he got the book and him and uh, there was another, I think she was Israeli with him and they're going to be reading the book. And um, I've never experienced... Yes, maybe speaking to secular Jews, whatever, but speaking to ultra-Orthodox and ultra-ultra-Orthodox, I've never experienced a time, maybe once before, where they only listened because they, their mouths were silent. They, didn't, they didn't, couldn't have any objections, you know. So, um, so anyway, all, almost all the books I have, there's at least three of them that directly are, will help you, equip you to reach the Jewish people, um, and they're on the table. Uh, but really... The Basura Through Jewish Eyes, give it to a Jewish friend. Because maybe you're afraid to share the gospel yourself or you don't know how to, if that's the case. I mean, if you know how to, that's great. But you can always give a book. And by the way, it has the, the veil, you can see, of the, in the Holy of Holies, ripped in two from top to bottom. So, so just avail yourself to this because these are resources to help you to be more effective, to reach our people and all people with the good news of Yeshua. Amen. Um, so I really give God all the glory. Please keep uh, that region where we minister in New York. And of course, when we go back to the Ukraine uh, in the next few months, keep it in your prayers. We are seeing Jewish people come to the Lord last year. Uh, we are ministering in Kiev during the war. And on three particular occasions, we were in an audience in a Messianic congregation with a lot of people. And the time came for the altar call to, to call them to receive Yeshua after giving a very clear gospel message. And people just kept on coming and coming and coming. Maybe 50% Jewish, I don't know, but a good percentage. And I, it's just, you, we can give the Lord uh, all the glory for this. And that happened three times, the three times that we went to Kiev. And uh, I really, really believe that this is the beginning you know, when I, when, I, when I saw with my own eyes what was beginning uh, there in that ultra-Orthodox neighborhood, then we did a conference in Brooklyn, which was very, very blessed. Uh, you probably know there's a huge Russian-Jewish population there in, in Brooklyn, and uh, we, saw, we saw a few Jewish people come to the Lord and some Gentiles come to the Lord, and uh, we just had a wonderful, wonderful conference over a few days. And uh, for those of you who have Russian friends, I will just mention this. Uh, whether they're Ukrainian or from other part of Russia, it doesn't matter. But um, I know you probably can't read this because it's in Russian. I also can't, so don't feel bad. Um, but it's, it's the end of time. It's the end of time, what the Scripture says about it, but through a Jewish, from a Jewish perspective, about the second coming of the Lord and how to be ready for His return. And that's also in English as well. It's also called suddenly, so just avail yourself to this. Um, so, uh, so what I want to... What the Lord put in my heart is, uh, as David, Rabbi Schiller, asked me to speak about um, Purim, which I love to speak about, because it's one of the most joyful of our holidays. And if I can open this up, one second. Just bear with me here. And how, how Purim is relevant to us today. And you know, it's, it's just so relevant, and I'm so happy and privileged to be able to share this message because 
I believe that we are heading into these times. Unfortunately, very difficult times. Uh, but also, the time where God, you know, we are talking about a mediator. And really, what a, what a great time during Purim to speak about a mediator. Because wasn't Esther a mediator? We know, obviously, the, ulti- the ultimate mediator is Yeshua through his atonement. Of course, we understand this. But, I'm, but there's another kind of mediation where you stand between your people and the wrath of God. This beautiful prayer for America today. The brother who was praying that today, I mean, that was so powerful. I mean, just incredible. You know, when he was weeping, I knew that was the Lord weeping for the unrighteousness in this nation. And how God wants to raise up kings in righteousness again. But you've felt the heart of God in that, right? Just so powerful. That's, that's mediating. We're we mediating between the wrath and judgment of God on this nation for unrighteousness. Because you know that God must and will ultimately judge all unrighteousness. But we're we asking for time. We're asking for time. Why? Because this gospel of the kingdom first must be preached. In all the world as a witness to the nations and only then that will come. And many have not had the chance yet to hear it. And so Esther, she stood as a mediator for Israel. And I really believe that God wants us to take this posture that through the instruction of Mordechai that Esther took on. And we see this in Esther chapter 4. Verse 13 and 14. And as you can see, the message is called for such a time as this. And Mordechai told them to answer Esther, those who came to him. And this was his word to her. Listen to this. It's very important because this is for each one of us. I mean, this couldn't be more prophetic. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise. This is important. Because when God chooses to deliver the people, a people, in this case the Jewish people, if she didn't obey, God would have used somebody else. So deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place if you don't do it. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether you and I have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. By the way, if you weren't supposed to be here for such a time as this, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't have survived this long. How many look back and see, oh, wow, I shouldn't be here. Right? Because God has called you and he's called me for such a time as this. Point number two. So point number one was we cannot be silent any longer. And we know that she opened up her mouth and she went to the king in fear and trepidation after three days of fasting. But she went. Point number two, if we try to save our lives, we will lose them. And we know who said that, those words, right? Yeshua. Esther 4.15. 
Then Esther told them to reply to Mordechai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What an attitude. What a heart. And she was willing and telling the other people to be willing to fast for three days and three nights. And I don't know how God is leading you people. But more and more, the Lord is leading us into prayer and fasting. We were in prayer and fasting before we arrived. You think, oh, you're just going to eat a shawarma. No, you weren't. We were going to bring the word of the Lord. We were in prayer and fasting before that. And God honors that. But this attitude, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What an attitude. Esther 7, 1 through 6. This is the TLV version. So the king and Haman came to dine with the queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked Esther again, whatever you request, even as much as half the kingdom, it will be given to you. So Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with the eye, in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king, grant me life, this is my petition, and spare the life of my people, this is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, for destruction, slaughter, and annihilation. If we had simply been sold as male and female slaves, I would have remained silent, for such distress would not be worth disturbing the king. King Ahashverosh responded to Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man that presumed to be this? Haman's in serious trouble right now, right? You can do the Haman shouting or whatever if you want. (laughs) Esther replied, the man, the adversary, interesting, the name of Satan, right, is the adversary, and foe is this wicked Haman. (laughs) Then Haman was terrified. Haman, as you would say, Haman, Haman, was terrified before the king and queen I would have, lo- I'm sorry, I'm a, I know I shouldn't say this, but I would have loved to have seen his face. That, I mean, that would have been, if they had cameras in those days, that would have been something to keep, right? And again, what does Yeshua say? The same thing about, if you, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you, want, if you lose it for my sake, you will save it. We have to open our mouths. You know, I could have just been all quiet in that shawarma store and not been too strong about the gospel, about the blood sacrifice, about Yeshua being the only way, about, oh, you know, just listen to them and just being all like timid and quote-unquote respectful, but they wouldn't have the truth if I'd been quiet. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to open our mouths. This is the TLV version. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is about to come in the glory of his Father. Can you imagine? With his angels... And then he will repay everyone according to his deeds. You know, it's this, this concept, if we could grasp this, if we could just grasp, if we are willing to lose our lives, we will save it. Yes, for eternity, but we will save. God will deliver us when we refuse to compromise. God will deliver us. You know, sometimes we're afraid to share and to be so direct 
But do you really think that God won't bless you if you share the uncompromised truth of the word of God? Do you really think God won't back you up? Would some people get offended? But let them be offended. But then they're offended by God, by his word, not by you. And yes, sometimes they're offended. But I'm, I, what I've been surprised more and more, how they're offended by people who don't bring them the truth. You, you know what offends them? You know what I found offends Jewish people? Especially the Orthodox? When you befriend them for two and three years and you don't share the gospel with them, and then one day you share, that really offends them. And by, by the way, I've heard this from their mouths. Because that's deceptive. So you were just my friend all this time so you could one day share this gospel with me to quote-unquote convert me. That's the way they see it. We're not converting them. We're bringing them back to the God of Israel. But that's in their mind. To, to them, that is deception. And they won't trust you. Why do those Holocaust survivors come back to see us even though we were preaching quote-unquote a Christian conference? And I changed the conference just for those two. Praise God. Why? Because they knew that we would speak the truth. And they trust from, from day one. We said Yeshua is the Messiah. And you need him to be saved. You need his blood sacrifice in order to go to heaven. There is no other way to God. And then you write from the start. These people are not going to deceive us. Whether we agree with them or not. We trust them because they're going to speak the truth to us. And that builds trust. Not compromising. And you, you understand what I'm saying and holding back. So be willing to lose your life because you'll save it. And not only yours, but you'll save the lives of others. So um, point number three, again, very, very important, very much a, a Purim message or the same theme. God sent deliverers, plural, to Israel. Judges chapter 2 and verse 16. Nevertheless, this is at a time when, when, when Israel, during the time of, of Gideon, was being just completely destroyed. Their crops, their lands, they were in hiding uh, during this time by the Midianites. And it's in the book of Judges 2.16. Nevertheless, the Lord raises, raised up judges who delivered them. So at that time, he used judges. So does God deliver them directly? Yes, but he uses people. He used judges. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe you ought to be one of those judges to help save the Jewish people, both, first of all, spiritually through Yeshua and his blood, sacrifice, but maybe even physically in the future, the way the world's going right now. So the Lord raised up judges who delivered them, what? Out of the hand of those who plundered them. God sends deliverers to Israel. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 26 to 27. Nonetheless, they became contentious and rebelled against you. They cast your Torah behind their back. Of course, speaking of Israel, they killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. They committed appalling blasphemies. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. But in the time of their distress, they cried out to you and you heard, obviously speaking of God, you heard from heaven. According to your great compassion, look at this theme again. You, speaking of God, gave them deliverers, plural, who rescued them out of the hand of their enemies. Are you going to be one of those deliverers? That's biblical, by the way. It doesn't mean that you replace Yeshua, obviously. But God uses people to save the Jewish people, both physically and by bringing them the word of God, the gospel 
of, our, of Almighty God. Some modern examples. I mean, those are examples in the scripture. There's so many more. I don't have time to share them all. Corrie Ten Boom. You all, I'm sure, know about her. How they saved hundreds of Jewish people and hid them at the cost of their own lives. Except for Corrie, whole family was killed. Raoul Wallenberg. Some of you might or might not have seen that. If you haven't seen it, look up a documentary. He was a Swedish, uh, wasn't even an ambassador. He was just working in the Swedish embassy and rescued, they say, minimum 100,000 Jewish lives. Much less known about. Raoul Wallenberg. And unfortunately, he was eventually imprisoned and never seen again. But you see, God uses people on this earth, mostly who know him. So some of these didn't even know him. I don't know if Raul was a, true, a Christian or not. He probably was. Certainly Corrie ten Boom was. But God uses people to deliver his people. Can he do it sovereignly? Does he? Yes, he can, and he does. But God has chosen to use people. Point number four. Haman and his ten sons were hung on a tree. Of course, we know that tree to be the cross. Our enemy was destroyed through the tree, the cross. And his ten sons. Can you imagine when uh, she was a tough cookie, this Queen Esther. The king says, do you have any other requests? She says, yes, just one more if you can hang all ten of his sons on those gallows, <laughs> you don't mess with Esther. I mean, she had serious, you know. <laughs> and I thought of this, and I've thought of this over the years. This is how the book of Esther so corresponds to the message of the gospel. Because we see this clearly in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He wiped out the handwritten records of debts. With decrees against us. Isn't that interesting? What did Haman have? A decree against all the Jews, right? With decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He took it away. That's what happened during Purim. By nailing it to the cross. Haman and his sons were hung on the gallows. That was the, the Bible says, cursed as he was hung on a tree. After disarming the principalities and powers. Do you see the analogy? I mean, you couldn't get a more shadow and type clearer right of this picture of what Yeshua did on the cross after disarming everyone say disarming after disarming the principalities and powers he made a public spectacle not of himself of who of them the principalities and powers that was a shameful way to die the way that Haman's sons died on that on those gallows and Haman he made a public spectacle not of himself but of them do you realize that through the cross, a public spectacle was made of Satan? He thought he was making a public spectacle of Yeshua, but a public spectacle was made of him. Triumphing over them in the cross. And that's whoever is cursed as he, whoever hangs on a tree, that's, that's a curse in the Old Testament. And he became a curse for us so that through him we could become the righteousness of God in Yeshua. Final and... Uh, Final point, point number five. And this, wow, what a timely message. Of course, every, all of the Chagim are so timely to what's happening in the world. I mean, it's amazing. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Can I repeat that? 
If not you, then who? If not now, then when? You know, we've been going to the Ukraine, uh, spending three to six months a year for the last four years or so. And then we knew we'd be going back because the Lord had given me a timing end of April, beginning of May last year. And then the war broke out in February. And I'd already we made our plans and already told people we're going. And, and I said, Lord, um, you, you know that there's a war in the Ukraine, right? And of course, I mean, obviously he's, he's God. He said, yes, yes. Like, I know, you know. I said, so um, you, you still want to have your plans changed? Like the timing, you know, the timing issue. He said, no. I said, okay, then my plans haven't changed either. <laughs> and so we, we couldn't fly in, obviously, because nothing flies because it gets shot down. And so we, we, we had to go another way and we had to drive in. That's another whole story. I don't have time to tell the series of miracles how we got in. Um, but it's really interesting when Yeshua gave the Great Commission to go into all the world, to the Jew first, by the way. That is the Great Commission. I sometimes even hesitate if people say, oh, you're in Jewish ministry. I, I will say yes, because I am. Um, but but here's, here's what I take an issue with. And let me tell you, this is one of my pet peeves, just so it's public on the public record. <laughs> if people say they're not called to Jewish ministry, and I say, oh, so you don't believe in the Great Commission. <laughs> the Great Commission, it's automatically to the Jew first. That's God's blueprint. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so... Are there separate ministries that focus mostly on reaching the Jewish people? Yes, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's great. Because Peter was called to the Jews, right? Paul primarily to the Gentiles. But I think maybe Paul preached to more Jews being called to the Gentiles than Peter did even. <laughs> and he wasn't even called to the Jews. Can you imagine if people in Gentile ministry had the burden for the Jews that Paul had? <laughs> Israel would have been saved a long time ago. And so if you believe in the Great Commission, you believe in Jewish ministry. So I, I almost hesitate to sort of separate it because people think, oh, so that's those people in the Messianic congregation or, or who focus on those who love Israel, et cetera, et cetera. No, that's the Great Commission, period. That's why I wrote that book, by the way, that's available um, to the, here today, God's Blueprint for the Great Commission, because it's God's Blueprint, period. And His Blueprint works best. And how, isn't it amazing, in the first century... With no technology, no internet, no anything, just horses and camels and donkeys, whatever else they had. On foot mostly, they were more successful in bringing the gospel to the known world. Following the pattern of bringing the gospel to Jewish people first, not only in Israel but around the world. They were more successful and more fruitful than with all of our billions of dollars and all of our technology than we've been now in the, in the, in the 21st century. Isn't that interesting? Because that's God's pattern. You understand what I'm saying? And so, by God's grace, we just obey. And not everyone's called to go into a war zone. I understand that. But God called us for this season and has called us to go back. And we're seeing fruit and we're seeing results. But the point is not to allow circumstances to prevent what God tells you. Don't put any conditions, okay? All right? On the Lord when you say yes to him. So we are living in an incredible time. What an amazing opportunity we have. What an incredible time we are living in. In these last days to bring the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and to say that the promise of Israel has now come. That's what we are called to. Why don't we just all stand as we, um, as we close out. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of my fathers, God of our fathers, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who's never repented of their sin, if they've never given their heart to Yeshua, if they've never confessed him as their Messiah and King, whether they are Jewish or not. I just want to say this. There's two. I said this, by the way. I didn't have a chance to share everything in the Shrama store. There's two promises you have in the Word of God, whether you want to hear it or not. Number one, one day you'll die, unless the Lord comes and takes us with him to heaven. But that's just one generation. You promise 100% that you'll die one day. 100% definite. Number two, you'll one day stand before Jesus. You'll stand before Yeshua one day. It's a guarantee. I shared this with a, a Jewish friend of mine, really nice guy. And I, say, I shared this with him and I said, what, what are you going to say when you stand before Jesus? And he says, well, I'll say we've got a common friend in Jeffrey Cohen. That's not the answer I was hoping that he'd give, because that won't be enough. But you know, you cannot escape that appointment, and I cannot. The question is, are you ready? And so this is between you and God right now. Because one day, as I will, you'll stand before Yeshua one day, and you'll have to give an account for this message and for how you lived your life on this earth did you receive the sacrifice of Yeshua for your life? Did you receive his atonement for your sins? Yes or no? Because you don't want to be on the other side. You don't want to be not ready. Trust me. You don't want to be. It's not even an option. The Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so if you haven't yet made your peace with God, if you haven't repented and given your heart to Yeshua, just lift up your hand and I'll pray with you right now. If you need to do that, just lift up your hand. I just want to see if there's anybody. Please don't let pride stop you. Don't let anyone standing next to you intimidate you. Are you putting up your hand there? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You want to you repent and make sure that you're right with God? Anybody else? Praise the Lord. You're not promised tomorrow. That's what I've learned. You're not promised tomorrow. Trust me, we've, we've lived in a war for six months. We know no one's promised tomorrow. It doesn't have to be in a war. It could happen in Dallas. <laughs> Believe me. Okay. God bless you. God bless that hand, that person. Let's just pray together. Well, our sister, just say, Father, I come to you today in Yeshua's name. And I give you my heart. I give you my life. I repent of my sin. And I turn to you. Forgive me, Lord. I come into, uh, come into my heart and my life. And I give my life to you today. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And before I close, I, I couldn't stop without this. Um, maybe some of you have been silent when you know you should have spoken. 
maybe you've allowed intimidation or fear or pleasing man or you think you don't know what to say or whatever excuse you have to, to keep your mouth closed. And this is between you and God. This is not between you and me. But I feel the Holy Spirit's really pressing this on my heart. But if you, and if you've done that, ask the Lord to forgive you and He will. He's a merciful and gracious God. It's not, you just repent and you can't change the past. Amen. And He'll forgive you. So it's not about that. You know, it's not about the past. But going forward, if you're going to, you're making a fresh commitment to not close your mouth. Number one for the gospel. But number two, yes, even anti-Semitism, injustice, all those things are secondary after the gospel. But if you are making a decision today, I'm, I'm going to open my mouth and share the word of God. And I'm going to share the gospel with my Jewish and Gentile friends. And if you're making that commitment today, just put up your hand. Just put up your hand. Lift it up high if that's you. That's between you and God, as I said, not you and me. Praise the Lord. That's, that's music to the ears of the Lord. Hallelujah. That's music. So let's just pray together. You can just pray with me. Say, Father, I thank you that, Lord, you, you are not ashamed of me. And I will not be ashamed of you or your words. Fill my mouth with your words as I share the gospel of your Messiah and your son, Yeshua. Fill my mouth with your words to bring the words of eternal life to your people, both Jews and Gentiles. In Yeshua's name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.